0: family and friends we have come here today as the bride of christ to share in the joy of the wedding day and to witness the vows that we'll make with one another in the presence of god and to those of us joined here today now you may be here indeed with your spouse and it's okay to hold their hand during this time if you're able and we're going to take a little walk down memory lane For some of you who are not yet married, don't look around. Some of you who are not yet married, as I said, we are gathered here and we are indeed the bride of Christ. So stay with me. You see, God the Father is the creator and the author of marriage. Marriage began in the garden when God told the first man and woman that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh With God being the author of marriage, we realize it is a very important and sacred institution. It is not to be entered into lightly or without careful consideration. The wedding ceremony is a time to pledge your love, your faithfulness, and your commitment to one another. Let's look at what God's word has to say about the meaning of true love in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient. You know these, you can say them with me. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You see, in a, in a wedding, we make vows. You may have, maybe you remember these. I, insert your own name, take you, insert their name, to be my wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. According to God's holy word, I pledge you my faithfulness. We, we talk about and we give rings. That's my favorite part because rings, as I always say, they're small in size, but they're large in significance. They're made typically from precious metal or expensive wood these days. Some are even made of rubber. It's hard to factor that into this, but they still remind us that love is not cheap and it's not common. Indeed, love may cost us dearly. Rings are made in a circle. Their design tells us love should, have, should never come to an end. It has no beginning, no end. It's continuous, and we must keep it that way. And I encourage a young couple as they wear their rings, whether together or apart for a moment, that they would be constant reminders of the love for one another and the glad promises that are made. Another favorite, I have a lot of favorites, I've told you that before. Another favorite in a wedding ceremony is when I get to share with people Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 21. It says, submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. And then it continues. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ presents to us a beautiful example of love and sacrifice when he gave himself up for his bride, the church. And in a marriage, when we give ourselves unselfishly to each other, your true, each of your needs will be provided for in the true meaning of love will grow and abound in your marriage just as God designed it. And then we come to the infamous part at the end. By the authority given to me by the state of Alabama and the privilege I have to be a servant of God, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. Don't. (laughs) I saw you looking. Not why we're here. But then I then present the lovely new couple to everyone. And then I get to say something like, thank you for, on behalf of the friends and family, I want to thank you for coming. But please don't leave because we're just getting started, but you may go ahead and have a seat. I know some of you weren't expecting a wedding. You were like, I didn't know, I didn't dress appropriately. It's okay. We're all friends here. You see, we're in the, almost to the end of a series called the Ten Commandments, then and now. And if you haven't picked up on it today, we're talking about Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And I thought, what better way to start that than than with a good old-fashioned wedding ceremony? Reminding those of you who are married of your vows that you made, maybe long ago or just recently. Also, as I said, those of us in this room, we are all the bride of Christ. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. I don't want to spoil that part, but it's coming Here's the thing about marriage. We need to be prepared to be faithful, no matter what, to our husband or to our wife. Marriage vows are made before God. They should be kept in spite of difficulties. I tell everybody, the best part about marriage is you're going to have trouble. And they look at me like I've lost my mind. It's going to happen. It's what you do with it. It's how you react to that trouble. It's how you react to those hard times that that build and bolster and and just strengthen your marriage with God. Uh, Another aspect of marriage that I talk about that makes everybody uncomfortable is the S word. Spirituality. (laughs) It's part of the whole wedding concept, that whole package deal. And of course, there's sex as well. It's a gift from God. It's reserved for marriage only. Any sexually immoral act that betrays those vows, including premarital sex, is considered adultery. I started out this message with a simple wedding, a sample of a wedding ceremony, because I wanted to remind everybody that whether you're married or single or engaged or, or whatever, we're the bride of Christ first. In our series on the Ten Commandments, Sin and Now, as we look at this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter how old you are. This applies to all of us. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20, the church in Corinth is reminded of something similar. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. And I want you to think of the seventh commandment right there as we read through this. You shall not commit adultery. Think about that and remember this as we read through 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 12. All things... Are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You shall not commit adultery. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immor- immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know? that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, that's God, the two shall become one flesh. And verse 17 says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You see, married or not, No matter what stage of life you're in, you shall not commit adultery. Your body is not your own. We think it is, but it's not. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You have been bought for a price. We celebrated that. We exalted that. And when we break the seventh commandment, we're not only sinning against God, against our spouse, current or future. We're sinning against our own bodies as well. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, he's not preaching to me today. I've never committed adultery. Did you know that in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 9, God says that unfaithfulness to him is the same as adultery. And it just got real. That's why I want to look at King David for a second. King David, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, amazingly enough, he, he had this affair. He had her husband killed. They're having a baby, and he goes on like nothing out of the ordinary had happened. And it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came and spoke to him and told him a story about a man who had plenty, and he took from a man who had just a few things. And David was irate. He says, this man should... He, he, he just—he uh, should be punished to the full extent of the law. He was going on and on about what should happen to this man. And Nathan the prophet—I would just wish I could see this, a fly on the wall kind of thing, because I picture Nathan kind of getting in his face and going, "You are that man." And then a hush falls over the whole palace as that echoes through, and King David goes, "Oh, I am." David realized. That he not only sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband Uriah that he had killed. He realized he would sinned against himself. And he realized he had sinned against God. So what do we do? Because here's the the downside to adultery. Whether it's with a partner or whether it's your sin against God. he, He sees those both as adultery. We've all done it. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So what do we do when we sin against God? Well, David repented. He gave us a good example. And he wrote Psalm 51 as a result of his repentance. And I want to challenge you sometime this week to read all of Psalm 51. Read it a couple of times. It won't take you long. But right now, I want to look specifically at what David wrote in Psalm 51, verses 6 through 17. And, And I'm going to interject some things as we read through this. And I just want you to, again, think about number seven. You shall not commit adultery, whatever your adultery was or is. Think about that as I read Psalm 51, verses six through seven. Verse six says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. And remember, this is coming from someone who has just been confronted with this sin, not only of adultery, but of of also murder and and of covering it up and trying to use his place of authority to make it like nothing ever happened. And and so he is contrite. He is broken. I I know maybe David is thinking this way. Lord, you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. Come into the hidden places of my heart. Verse seven says, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart, Lord. Verse 8 says, make me to hear joy and gladness. See, that conversation with Nathan brought about just a crushing blow to his spirit, to his countenance. And he says, Lord, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. The places within me you have crushed will rejoice in your healing touch. Have you ever presented yourself before the Lord like this? Verse 9 says, hide your face from my sins, blot out all of my iniquities. David's like, Lord, please hide my sins from you. Erase all my guilt in your saving grace. Mercy was was kind of an overriding theme in some of the songs that we sang today. This is what David's asking for. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's asking for a do-over. Remember those when you were a kid and you're playing like 10-strike like kickball and you got like your 11th strike and you're like, no, it hit a rock, do-over. And we asked for do-over, that's what David's doing. He's like, he's like, Lord, a do-over, created me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Start over with me, Lord. Create a new clean heart within me. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires so I'll be ready to please you. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He realizes that God can't be around sin. He realizes that there's some consequences to this. He's don't take your Holy Spirit from me. May there never be a shadow of darkness between us, God. That's what he's asking. May you never deprive me of your sacred spirit. And verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough that you bring me. Give me more of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, So that I may stand strong and true to you. And verse 13 says, then I, this is my favorite verse in this whole thing. He's asking God for all these things. And then he says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Lord, restore me from this. These shameful things that I've done so that I can teach others, so that I can walk this path with somebody else who's gone along and I can come alongside them. This is the king saying he's willing to come alongside transgressors and teach them God's way and convert them back to God. He says, I can show other guilty people how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you knowing that you will forgive them. They'll see that in my life. If only we had world leaders like that today who would admit a wrong and then publicly ask God to help them fix it. That would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? Verse 14 says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. David says, O God, my saving God, deliver me fully from every sin even the sin that brought blood guilt to my soul, he's asking specific, Lord, forgive me for what I did to Uriah, for having him killed. When that happens, my heart will once again be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of righteousness and forgiveness. And we know this took place because as you read through the rest of the Psalms, there's a change in how they are written after chapter 51. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. I think that should be a morning prayer for all of us. Oh, Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Lord God, unlock my heart. Unlock my lips, and I will overcome with joy and praise to you. Verse 16 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering You see, the source of God's pleasure, what David's saying here is the source of your pleasure is not in my performance. It's not in what I appear to be at the surface level. It's not the sacrifice that I might bring to you. It's how I'm going to live from this moment forward. That's what's going to be pleasing to you. And verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise David is saying to God the fountain of your pleasure it's not the sacrifices it's found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart it's found in, in me recognizing that i have sinned against you you will not despise my tenderness as i humbly bow down at your feet this is one of my favorite psalms because we're all messed up we're all broken For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when you wonder what to do in that moment, I want to encourage you to look at Psalm 51, the whole thing. I just gave you a snapshot. Put a bookmark, make a note, read through it. It's a great uh, map, if you will, to lead through repentance. To really help get you back on course. We do a lot of lip service. We do a lot of sorry. The reality is we're usually sorry because we got caught. No matter what it is, whether it's a lie or, or adultery or whatever the sin is, we're typically sorry that we got caught because, had we not gotten caught, we would have continued the behavior. See, when David got caught, he didn't say, Lord, I'm sorry I got caught. What I just read to you was a picture of, of brokenness, a picture of, of begging for someone to help. Please let me start over. And then David lived differently one of the things I appreciate about scripture saying that David was a man after God's own heart because he, it wasn't that he was a perfect individual, but it was that he was not afraid to turn around and start over again and again. And that was, thou shalt not commit adultery then. That's the then part of the 10 commandments, then and now. And now I really want to make you uncomfortable because we're going to come into the now The present, if you will. Jesus brings an old law to a new place in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And he challenges the people who are listening to his sermon that day. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And and he challenges them to consider something more than just the physical act of adultery. And what he shares with them, I want to share with you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30 says this. You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. There it is. That's the physical act. And then he continues. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He goes on, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's better for you to cut off a part. It's better for you to gouge out an eye. Why would Jesus be so graphic? Well, He knew something. He knew That people struggle with the things they see. He knew that we struggle with the way we react to the things that we see. He knew then and he knows now that the struggle for purity is real. Jesus knows what you're struggling with right now. He knows your secret desires. He knows that today... 20% of the men in America admit to accessing pornography at work. Jesus knows that. He knows that there are 40 million U.S. adults who regularly visit internet pornography websites. He knows that. That's a large number. 40 million. Not just men, men and women. 40 million U.S. adults. Jesus knows that 40% of that 40 million are Christians. Not only that, he knows there are Christians, that 40% of that 40 million are Christians who said that pornography is a major problem in their home. Jesus knows that 10% of adults admit to having an internet sexual addiction. And he also knows that 51% of pastors say internet pornography is a possible temptation. He also knows the other 49% lied when they took that test. Be honest, if you work in a world of the internet, it's a temptation. It's going to show up. It's what you do with that temptation, David, that makes it a sin or not. You may say, well, that's awfully hard. You can't say that about every pastor. You're right. There's a guy out there that still uses a Bible and handwrites his sermon and uses books to study from. He's not being tempted by internet pornography. But the statistics and the numbers, on sadly enough, don't lie. Jesus also knows that 75% of pastors don't make themselves accountable to anybody for their Internet use. 64% of American men reported that they view pornography at least monthly. With this problem of needing to be careful what we see and how we react to it, this issue of committing adultery in our heart is not just a man issue. Jesus knows that too. He knows that a majority of our kids grow up using a smartphone or a tablet. In case you aren't sure about that, smartphones and tablets are connected to the internet. Internet. Just in case you didn't know. Over 119 million TVs in America as of 2015 are connected to the internet. Did you know That nearly forty percent of all teenagers have posted or sent sexually suggestive messages to somebody. That's almost half. Eighteen percent of teen boys have sent a semi-nude or nude photos to someone. Twenty-two percent of teenage girls have done the same thing. Ninety percent of eight to sixteen-year-olds have viewed pornography online. Guess when it happened. And I said that right, 8- to 16-year-olds. It happened while they were doing homework. You know why? Because they were on the internet, and things will show up whether you think they will or won't. Not just here to harp on the little kids, 33% of college-age students, 18- to 24, have been involved in some form of nude texting. That's also adulterous. You see, and... If you're the person that's doing this and you think the person you're sending your pictures to is the only person looking at them, 17% of the people who receive those pictures share them with other people. They show their friends. 49% of young adult women agree that viewing pornography is an acceptable way of expressing one's sexuality. See, we used to think that adultery and pornography and things like that was just a man problem. But it's not. 14% of teen girls are viewing online pornography for a half an hour or more at a time and one in seven do it on multiple occasions during the week. The reality is we live in a dangerous time. There are more self-destructive opportunities in our world than ever before. Whether you're married or single the command remains the same. I gave you just a small snapshot of statistics of what our kids and our men and our women in America are presented with on a daily, uh, just on a daily time in their life. And so whether you're, you're single or married, the command remains the same. You shall not commit adultery. That was then. And now Jesus even says, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So why would it be so graphic? If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it away from you. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I am not here today to encourage any of you to gouge out your eye or to cut off your arm. I am here to encourage you to be like David and repent You, again, I'm exempt from adultery. I don't cheat on my wife. I'm not married. It doesn't matter. God said sin against him is the same as adultery. God values faithfulness to him. And before anything else, you are the bride of Christ. Even before you get married. He values purity before you're married. He values purity in your marriage. And you may be thinking, too late, I've already messed up the whole purity thing. Or maybe you're thinking, how do I talk with my teenager, my young adult, my grandkid, my husband, my wife about this stuff? Start with mercy. Don't, don't leave from here today going, hey, Fat Rock gave you these statistics. Which one are you? Don't do that. That's not mercy. That's not grace. That's, that doesn't set things up for success and restoration. It sets things up for defensiveness and fighting. Start with the heart. Start with your own heart. It's never too late to change your direction. But adultery is not just a man or woman problem in our society. Our kids are being sucked into this dilemma. And Jesus knows that. And it's time that we stand and fight back. Start today. Start protecting your eyes. Protect your heart. Protect your body. Protect your family from adultery. Craig Groeschel, uh several years ago, wrote a sermon about this and and preached it. It was really good. And he said, what you have to do is bounce. All right? And he said, you have to bounce your eyes. Doesn't matter if it's the TV. Doesn't matter if it's somebody walking across the street. It doesn't matter where it is. You have to bounce your eyes. When you see that image, that person, that whatever that may cause you a second look, you bounce your eyes somewhere else. It's easy to do at home because you can just change the channel or heaven forbid, turn the TV off. You can do that. Remote controls do amazing, powerful things. (laughs) Turn the computer off. We have to begin protecting ourselves from these things. And you have to start with small steps. Bounce your eyes. Bounce your thoughts in your head. Be like David. Go to Psalm 51 and see how you can apply it to your life. Adultery is so much more than just a physical act, and we have to protect our families from it. The Bible tells us sexual sin affects so many more than just the people directly involved with it. But remember this, it all goes back to number one. You shall have no other gods before me. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to ask you all to stand once again, and we're going to do a responsive reading. Um... As we do this responsive reading, if it's time for you to make a change in the direction that you're going, please respond to God's word, because shortly after we do the responsive reading, we're going to go into our response song. Um, and, and if you come forward, that, that's not an admission of, of guilt of, of any of these things that we've talked about. It's an admission of, I want to restore myself before Christ, just like David did before God. So will you respond to God's word with me as we do this responsive reading? You shall have no other gods before me. For from him and to him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Let me continually offer to God sacrifices of praise, the fruit of the lips, and bless His name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I will will obey my parents and all authority in everything, for this is the Lord. You shall not murder. I will be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave me. You shall not commit. Adultery. I am not my own. I was Therefore, I was a God. It's been great to be here with you all this morning, to worship with you, to share with you, to look into God's Word and see how we can apply it to our lives. But now it's time to go. I started with a wedding ceremony this morning, stating that the wedding ceremony is a time to pledge your love, and your faithfulness and your commitment to one another. As Christians, you have pledged your love, your faithfulness, and your commitment to Christ. So as you go this week, go doing whatever it takes to make sure that you are not committing adultery in any way. Because whether you're married or not, we are the bride of Christ. Go and reflect the love that he has for his bride everywhere you go this week. Will you sing this last song with us?